the sermon is receiving the Holy Spirit. And as we've already read in Acts chapter 2, that's what we're going to be looking at. But we need to give some context to this. It's, uh, it's really important to make sense of what's going on. And the background is simply this, that Acts chapter 2 is a correction to Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, uh, what we hear is that at that time in world history, everyone spoke the same language. It says in Genesis 11:1, the whole world had one language. And what they did in that unity was they wanted to build a tower in honor of their own name. And so it says that God confused their language. And it's then that we had a multiplicity of languages. And it's what we now experience today in our world. But it was all rooted back then. And the correction that God gave at that time was that they used their unity to exalt their own name. Now in Acts chapter 2, we see the opposite of this, the opposite of the Tower of Babel, where they all again spoke one language. But now that language was a heavenly language. And it says in verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. So this Gen uh, Acts chapter 2 is the reversal of Genesis chapter 3. Took a while, but now we have one language again. It's a heavenly language. And instead of exalting uh, humanity's name, it's now exalting God's name. So our unity as Christians, if you describe yourself as a Christian, our unity is simply this, that it is built upon one language of worship. It's what unites us, is that we have one language, and that language is the language of worship, declaring the wonders of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, here is the problem that I think we face today in lots of ways, and what we're going to be calling it this morning is identity idolatry. Identity idolatry. What we see in the world today is that people have collected a different kind of identity, a collection of identities that define who they are instead of their worship of Jesus Christ. In Galatians 3.28, it describes this and the correction to it. It says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. So the first kind of identity that people um, ascribe to is an ethnic identity. We say my, my background is Ukrainian, so I describe myself ethnically as a Ukrainian. Uh, neither slave nor free. Here, it's according to our social status. There can be lots of ways, but it can be economic, can be in terms of education, can be in terms of things that we have a special interest in that we kind of, we think puts us above or below other people. Um, so it's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, and finally, nor is there male and female. So the last kind of identity that we can have is in our femininity or masculinity. But here it says that uh, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The uh, appeal of, Galen of Galatians 3.28 is to lay down every other possible kind of identity and to declare that you have one identity, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. It then goes on in the next verse to say that Abraham, uh, we're from the seed of Abraham, that we're carrying on what Abraham started, we're carrying that on. And it's interesting what's described about, uh, about Abraham in Genesis 12. It says this, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Kind of the, the father of faith, Abraham, was asked to do something incredibly radical. 
He was asked to go from his country, from a place that he was very familiar with, where uh, he was the predominant culture, to go from your people, that you have, identi uh, you have an identity with a certain group of people, and even from your own father's household. Well, that would have been not just an ethnic identity, but that would have been privilege. That he's the, he's the son of a father, and we know that he had a fair amount of wealth, and you're to leave all of that behind, leave behind that social status, that economic security, that identity with a particular culture and nature. Leave all that behind and go to a land that you know nothing about. And the only reason why you would go is that you trust in me above all those other possible identities that you could trust in. Uh, this is a very, very radical statement today. When we think of, uh, of uh, uh, identity politics, that what seems to be uh, our responsibility is to look at our uniqueness and somehow champion that in society. Uh, I need to say as clearly as I can say that God values our ethnicities. God values, and we know this is true because in Revelation 7, 9, in the coming of his kingdom, what we see is that ethnicity and culture is not erased. It's endorsed and valued. So you need to hear that very, very clearly. What you also need to hear very clearly is that God hates social inequity and violence. What we find in the Old Testament time and again, whether it's uh, looking at Ezekiel, it, but just all through, is that when, when one nation uh, violates the rights and freedoms of another nation, God doesn't forget that and advocates on their behalf. So when we look at the wrong that is done toward other ethnicities, God values that and, and seeks justice on behalf of everyone. So you need to hear very clearly that that is what the Bible teaches. But what we also need to hear more of what the Bible teaches and it's this, that our culture, our social status, or our gender are not worthy to define us. And this is a huge problem, huge problem. When I look inside of our church community, when I get to travel and, and, uh, and look at other churches, far and away, far and away, the issue that divides the church is cultural idolatry. social idolatry, gender idolatry. It's somehow taking our uniqueness and saying, this is what defines me. And I find it incredibly concerning. What we find in this uh, uh, identity idolatry is it's always on both sides. When we look at the passage, it's neither Jew nor Gentile. So it's, it's it, you know, Christianity comes from Judaism. So they could be understood to be the predominant culture. Um, as we talked about last week, all the apostles were Jews. You can take that, that, uh, that ethnicity of being Jewish 
and you can make that an identity. And the moment that that happens, it becomes divisive. You can take the idea of being a Gentile and say, hey, and we read about this in Acts chapter 6, that there were some people who were being ignored. We can say, my culture is not being properly valued. My culture is not being properly respected. Look at what's happening against us. And so uh, we become advocates either, it, it, does, it doesn't matter whether we feel like we're in the predominant culture or the subdominant culture, whatever language we use for those kinds of things, but that we can treat ourselves as having a right to be heard, to be voiced, and that somebody should do something about that. Again, there's, there's some truth to that, but here's the problem. It's not about social equity. It's not about God valuing the diversity of cultures. It's when those things become an identity that it's at that point that it becomes a problem. And I hope that you can hear that clearly because I'm not speaking against anything other than that. It can happen in terms of social status that we can look down on somebody because they don't make enough money, they don't have as, as us, they don't have the same kind of education as us. Or we can say, uh, we don't have much education, we don't have much money, and so you who do, you owe me something. It can go either way. The slave or the free can have an identity. The same as in masculinity and femininity. We can fight for feminism, we can fight for masculism. When it becomes an identity, it becomes problematic. In Romans 1.25, it says we worship and serve, uh, the, the problem is when we worship and serve created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. There's only one name that should be praised and it's the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if there's any other name, any other identity that we think should be exalted above someone else, it's problematic. So how can we spot if you or I have a false identity, an idol of identity? How can we spot that? It's very, very simple. Is when you feel excluded from the body of Christ because of your identity, somehow minimized, somehow marginalized, somehow not uh, fully belonging, or thinking that you belong because of your ethnicity, because of your social status, because of your gender, that somehow that makes you belong more than others. Either way, it's the biggest problem that we face, I think, in the church these days, is an identity idolatry. And we know that we're participating in it when we somehow feel divided from or entitled. It's an us versus them. If you find yourself speaking on behalf of a group, that's a problem. This is what we think. This is how we're being treated. It becomes problematic to the point that it's an identity. <clears throat> so where does our freedom lie? Is our freedom lie, as some would say, in being colorblind and saying there is no ethnicity, we should all just learn to get along? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible is always valuing diversity, always honoring our differences. That's not a solution. And it's naive to think that way. Ephesians 2 verses 14 and 15 give 
what I believe is the only solution presented to humanity, and it's this. Jesus is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, that's Jew and Gentile. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. This is an incredibly radical statement that can, uh, can feel disrespectful of our uniqueness. And I appreciate that. But again, the, the objective uh, is not to erase culture, gender, but is to somehow exalt it when it's put in its rightful place. And in its rightful place is under the work in the Lordship of Jesus Christ. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity. It is my prayer, and, and if there was ever a time that this needed to be true, is that the world would see the church unified. That we would stand against a, 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 uh, an exaltation of personal uniqueness or even group uniqueness that we would say that there's something, there's only one who is worthy to define us and his name is Jesus and he's our creator and we were made in his image. And in his image, we're all equal and we're all surrendered and in submission to him. And so our unity as a, as a Christian church depends on having one identity. And I can appreciate the difficulties of this. I can appreciate them. But I don't know how else we can be unified unless we all rally under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. When that happens, and here's what you need to hear, when that happens, our diversity will be redeemed. And now we'll need diversity, not tolerate it, not put up with it. We'll need diversity. When it stops being an idol, it becomes redeemed and it becomes essential for the thriving of the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, as one example, is very explicit in saying, that without diversity, we don't need one another and there's no reason to be unified. But in our unity, we need diversity. We need one another precisely because we are different. I remember being very, very struck by this um, going, to, going to China. <clears throat> and, uh, and the reality is, for better or for worse, uh, when I go to China and I'm white, uh, people think I have a good theology or something, a white pastor, and I should be heard, you know? I don't really get that, but it's how you get treated. And I remember talking to, these, uh, to this group of pastors, and I remember thinking, what am I doing? This is ridiculous. I should be listening to them, not them listening to me. And as I begin to hear their stories, to hear how they understand Jesus, how they worship Jesus, 
I get introduced to a dimension of who Christ is that I would never have had had they not been my friends and been a part of their community. It's not a toleration, it's a necessity that there are things that I could not see. I remember uh, uh, talking to, to one of my friends, we, we uh, in, uh, you know, we're here in Canada and we're wondering, are we, you know, are we gonna be able to continue to meet together and uh, you know, with the pandemic and, and how's that gonna go and, and what about our rights and freedoms? And you know, I, so I'm asking him about these things. And just as I'm, I'm asking him, he tells me, uh, you know, well, I knew that he was meeting in a hotel and uh, the whole church was able to meet. And that week, his, uh, the government came and just shut down their meeting. It's, they're not able to meet again publicly. And I go, what do you do about that? And he says, well, we do what we always do. We continue to worship Jesus as Lord. We can't do it publicly anymore, but we do it in our homes. Nothing changed. I thought, nothing changed? No, nothing's changed. Jesus is still Lord. We're still his subjects. And we will not stop worshiping Jesus. We just change how it's done. I just needed that. I just needed somebody from another culture to explain something to me that they've gone through time and again. And for me, it's a brand new experience, you know, how to handle a government that might not value um, Christian gathering. So can you hear this idea, please? God doesn't erase our culture, our ethnicity, our gender, even our social status. He doesn't erase those things, he redeems them. And he redeems them first by declaring that Jesus Christ is Lord and he is our only identity. And this alone can reverse the Tower of Babel. <clears throat> so how do we receive our identity in Christ? How do we become defined by him? I'd like to suggest two things. First is the willingness to be mocked. In verse 13 of Acts chapter two, it says this, some made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. I think that if you and I choose to have our identity uh, solely in Christ, we'll be mocked for it. We'll be seen as unsophisticated and more than that, will be seen as betraying those who we once identified with. And they might hate us for it. We'll look foolish and even hated. I listen to people's stories as they choose to come to Christ. One of the things that always, that often, sorry, needs to be worked through is what do I tell my family? What do I tell my culture? When they say, I thought you were one of us. Now you've sold out. There's something that needs to happen in all of our hearts as we crucify our false identities. And I don't think it's easily done. 
whether you feel you have privilege or whether you feel you've been underprivileged, all of that is hard to die to. We don't ignore the past. We don't ignore injustices. We're not talking about that this morning. We're talking about identity. So here's what I find very, very fascinating about how God chooses to distinguish from humanity, to distinguish a people for himself, a people unified under one Lord, is he has them speaking in one language that is not English, it's not Latin, it's not Mandarin, and believe it or not, it's not Tagalog. I don't, I would think that would be, because everybody knows jokes are better in Tagalog. It's not any human language. It's a spiritual language. But he chooses to speak, for us all to speak in a language that people on the outside, some might say, you've had too much wine. You look like an idiot. You're babbling and making a fool of yourself. It's embarrassing. Speak my language. Identify with my culture. Value what I value. Then you won't be an idiot anymore. You'll be in. You have a place to belong. And God chooses tongues as the initial signifying factor that distinguishes a people for himself. Babbling publicly. I don't know about you, but this is hard. Okay, if I'm going to give up my cultural identity, my gender identity, my social status, if I'm going to give that up, I want to give it up for something better. I don't want, I give up all that I valued and I'm now going to babble, sorry, like an idiot in front of people who have it all together. That's how I distinguish myself. That's how I'm set free from my false identities to babble. This is an offense to worldly identities. The cross is an offense. First Corinthians uh, chapter one describes it as foolishness to those who are perishing. Back in the day, we, uh, there's a person that we really, really enjoyed listening to. We were a groupie. Debbie and I went to, to I don't know how many conferences by a man named John Wimber. We thought, I just loved his theology and I loved his, experience, uh, his expression of the Spirit of God. I found it very, very healthy, very personally transforming. And so we used to go to his conferences and it was all, uh, it was all fun. And there was a, back then, it was a VHS tape. I don't know if you guys know what those are. But uh, we had a VHS tape, and it was uh, the title of the tape. And I showed it to, I don't know how many people, whoever would, would amuse me to listen for 20 minutes, I showed this tape. And it was called, I'm a Fool for Christ. And he describes his journey as coming to Christ. As uh, he, uh, he was uh, a musician in a band called the Righteous Brothers. So he kind of had his life together. And uh, if you remember that band from a long time ago. And... Uh, and so he's walking down the street and he sees a guy wearing a placard. So that's already embarrassing. 
Like you never pay attention to a guy wearing a placard. You just know that that's weird, right? And on the placard, on one side it says, I'm a fool for Christ. And on the back it says, whose fool are you? And he says, I remember looking at that thinking he was crazy. And he says, but I couldn't shake it. And his testimony was a decision to become a fool for Christ. And I just find that so moving that our liberty is going to be in the destruction of our pride and our dignity and our false identities. And that Christ invites the church to be a fool and to be converted by a man walking downtown LA wearing a placard. That stirs me of what Christianity is built on. Christianity is foolishness to the world. It makes no sense. And this is the identity that you've been asked to adopt solely and in competition with no other identity that could bolster your pride or that you could brag about to your friends. So the question that needs to be asked us as we look at the text today is will we babble in faith? Will we do that? Will we be so foolish as to open our mouths in faith, vocalizing something that uh, can only be understood by the Spirit? Whether the Spirit gives somebody the gift of interpretation or the Spirit is God who understands exactly what we're saying and it's sweet praise to him. I become quite convinced that, uh, that tongues, we know, we talked about a few weeks ago, that tongues is praise to God. But I'm quite convinced that the reason why it's so sweet to him is there would be no other reason why we would do it except because of our trust in Jesus Christ and our devotion to him. That we've laid down every other identity, anything that has bolstered our ego, that we've crucified them and we're willing to babble in front of those who we might have been once esteemed by. But they have now forsaken us and we're left with a language that can only be understood by the Spirit. This is the Christian way. And this is how we're liberated from false identities. Identities that will always divide us and never unite us. At the end of the day, tongues is humbling. Speaking in tongues is humbling. I mean, I guess you're in some circles, but uh, it's humbling. <clears throat> and it's exactly how we gain entrance into the life of the Spirit and into being unified in the church. I'm not saying that if you don't speak in tongues, you're not part of the church. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that the initial... the initial uh, evidence of the church being birthed was the speaking in tongues. So how do we receive our identity in Christ? We're willing to be mocked. Are you willing to be mocked? Are you willing to be a fool? I tell the story of when I became a Christian. I became a Christian when I was 11 years old. I was just a kid. And I remember very clearly going from being a very popular kid, I was relatively good at sports and 
academics and the like, to somebody who sat alone every recess and lunch. Became quite a good drawer. Because there's nothing else to do. And I remember being mocked for my faith. And I remember, listen to me, how essential that was for the formation of my heart in Christ. Can you please hear that? If I wasn't mocked, my convictions would always have remained superficial. But when you're mocked, you have to work through who your Lord is and who you want to look like a fool in front of. I think of the times when I get persecuted for being a Christian. They are essential to the formation of my identity in Christ. And so if you manage to have a kind of faith in which you're never mocked or ridiculed, it's a shaky faith. We're promised persecution. We're not warned of it. We're promised persecution. How do you get persecuted? By no longer aligning yourself with worldly identities and instead identify yourself with a babbling language that no one is impressed with. That's how you get hated. That's how you get persecuted for goodness. Secondly and finally, we receive our identity in Christ. It's the title of the sermon, by receiving the Holy Spirit. It says they spoke in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. It says there was suddenly like the blowing of a violent wind, a violent wind. The, the, uh, the Spirit, same word for Spirit is wind. It's describing the Spirit of God coming. And tongues of fire, notice that the tongues of fire, which is always fire, is also a, a, a symbol of the Spirit of God. Notice that the fire started in one place and then separated onto each per, on top of each person's head. That'd be pretty cool to see. But if you notice, it started as he, it started as one. At, he manifested himself as one fire, and only as it was one was it then divided up into diversity. That's an important part of the story. But they received the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Can I tell you that a Jesus identity, as opposed to a worldly identity, is always a miracle. It's just a miracle. Nobody does this of their own volition. It's a, it's a work of God that we would identify ourselves as Christians. I needed the Holy Spirit in me. I needed the Holy Spirit to change my heart and to tell me that there's only one identity that's worthy to align myself with. It was a miracle to become a Christian. So what I would like to ask you today is will you receive a miracle? Will you receive a miracle? Will you let yourself, I'm, I, oh, it's so hard for me to, to harp on something that can be so divisive. And I'm going to qualify it shortly. 
would you let yourself speak in tongues? Would you let yourself speak in a spiritual language? Would you, would you let yourself receive a miracle? Would you let yourself receive something that offends your mind, that offends your friends, that offends human culture? Would you let yourself be liberated from all that constrains and divides in this world? It's ingenious. It's absolutely ingenious. I would never have thought of it in a million years. How are we gonna build a church? I know, we'll have them all babble for a minute. Ah, that's the beginning of the church. What a crazy thought, but it's perfect because it requires the death of our dignity for the exaltation of his name to thoroughly leave behind the Tower of Babel, no longer build our own names, but build his, being willing to look like a fool for him. It takes faith to worship in a spiritual language. It takes faith to do that. And I have, I'm, a, I'm a bit of a thinker, all right? I've had lots of education and I, I love thinking. And I don't apologize for it. It has helped me find Jesus in countless ways. But at the core of my faith is my thinking needs to be offended. Hear me now, you can't logic your way into the kingdom of God, you can't. You, uh, I don't, I'm making up words. You offend your way into the kingdom of God. You, you die to your intelligence and surrender to a greater intelligence, to a greater king, to a greater savior. It takes faith to be a Christian. It takes faith to move in the power of the Holy Spirit. It takes faith to stay in a church. Because your worldly identities will never be valued enough in this place, I promise you. Mine have never been. This is the place where we die to those things that they can be rightly redeemed in Christ. And this is what this passage is about. It's not some cute idea that we should all speak in tongues because it's fun. God's saying, I'm trying to reverse the Tower of Babel. I'm trying to create one people under my name. And this has been my way of accomplishing that. Does that offend you? Or is that liberating for you? That I would choose this way. Not setting up a better argument, setting up a better power structure in which Jesus is Lord, but coming in offense and foolishness. In 2018, 60 million Americans experienced identity theft. It's in the billions, 60 million. It's in the billions that we all suffer from our spiritual identity theft. And I think the enemy is trying to steal away our identity in Christ. 
and we say to him, can't I be white and a Christian? Nope. Can't I be Filipino? Can't I be Chinese? Can't I be Spanish? Nope. There is neither Jew nor Gentile. Do I have to give up all of my money? Yep. Do I have to give up uh, being mad at other people because I don't have any? Yep, you have to give that up too. Are you going to care more about being masculine or feminine? Or are you going to care about whether you're a child of God? Give it all up. I have a better identity for you. Lay it all down and receive who I say you are, a son and daughter of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lay it down. It's, it's not worthy to identify, to, for it to be an identity. Of course I made you with diversity. It's what I'm like. Don't worship it. Worship me. And then you'll find your rightful place in my body. 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Hear all those words? Holy nation, a new kind of nation, a new kind of, can I say it? Ethnicity. I know that that's mixing it up. But you're a new, you're a new person, a new creation in Christ, St. Corinthians 5.17. A holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises. There's tongues again. There's worship again. There's exalting the name of Jesus instead of the, the, the name of humanity. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. John 17, 23 talks about, I and them, you and me, may they be brought to complete unity that the world might know that you sent me. Jesus speaking. What is, listen please, what is the mark of the church? The unity that the Father enjoys with the Son that's the unity that you and I are called to be a part of. That the world might know that Jesus is Lord. There will be no other explanation for the unity in the church aside from the empowerment of the Holy Spirit and our willingness to be foolish to declare Jesus as our Lord. It's what distinguishes us as his people. And when people see the power of our unity, light will have shone into the darkness. And people will be liberated from inadequate identities. So I would like, oh man, I care about this stuff. I just so long for a unified church. I was speaking in another church this morning. Those are my people. The church is the people of God. And I implore you, don't divide against the church. Get frustrated with her. I am. Don't divide yourself. Because whatever, however you decide to divide yourself, I guarantee you it is some kind of idol. Some kind of competition to the Lordship of Christ. Don't let a false identity steal away your right identity. in him. So here's what I would like us to do. I would like us to worship <clears throat> in one voice. Um, 
Worship team, come on up if you don't mind. So we're gonna we're gonna sing in English. <clears throat> Warm ourselves up. And um, and then what I'm thinking we could do is we could stand together and uh, if you speak in tongues, you would speak in tongues and declare the wonders of God. If you don't speak in tongues, you have two great choices. You can declare the wonders of God in your own tongue, in English or uh, whatever other language you speak. You can declare the wonders of God in your own tongue and you are fully a member of this church and fully doing what God has invited the church to do. You're not second class, you're not. You can declare the wonders of God in your own tongue. Please do that. Or you can speak in tongues for the first time and you can open your mouth in faith and vocalize and uh, practice speaking in a heavenly language. All that's good. And there will never be judgment for which one you choose because how could praising God ever be wrong, right? Praising God is never wrong, however you do it. And you're being given an invitation and you can do whatever your heart longs to do in this moment and it's gonna be all of it is gonna be sweet you, you pray in English or Mandarin, whatever you pray in, pray as boldly as you can because God is enjoying every moment of your praise. And as you pray in tongues, he is equally enjoying that. But I, as, we, as we were preparing for today, we just felt like this was be, to be a moment when we're to lift our voices with one voice in one language of prayer in faith and declare who God is together. Can we do that? So uh, uh, let's, let's sing one song and then we'll, uh, we'll